everyone, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. My name is AJ Hindenburg, and I am joined by my two colleagues, Graham Donaldson. Hello, my babies. And Thomas Magby. Hello. What What was that? What? what? <laughs> my babies. And, and we are here on a beautiful, beautiful Monday afternoon, mm-hmm. and it's raining and thundering. It's, I don't know, it's kind of a picturesque day to do podcasting. Yeah, we're it's sitting nice. in the, the newly erected George Mueller Library. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the Veritas Academy has four houses, and George Mueller is one of the names of the houses. He is the what? We call him. What do we call him? Patron. Pa- is he the namesakes? patron? Namesakes? Name- He's the namesake for House Mueller, and Mueller is known for its established library. And Hanenberg, that's a fine-looking library you got in your classroom. Yeah, so we're recording in my classroom, and I just finished putting up seven shelves that took forever. And they look great. And When did you start? Uh, last Saturday, I think, and I've been working on them all week. You got some stags up there because George Mueller's patron animal, no, not patron animal, uh, is the the crowned stag, mm-hmm. and uh, your colors are gold and green. But that's so. a, that's something we came up with, right? Mueller didn't actually have a thing for. No, he I'm didn't. Just curious if that. No, I don't Francis think did no, have a thing. For the only wolves. thing we do have is Francis did stop a bloodthirsty wolf from killing a town by like preaching the gospel to it. Yeah, he had a talk with it. And then the wolf was like, I'm I'm, I'm, so, really, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I had no idea. And the wolf's <laughs> I, name I, was, I realized I overstepped my bounds here, you guys. Yeah. I'll go back to rabbits. And the wolf's name was Gubio, if I remember correctly. And early, early in the house days of, uh, I, am the, I am the dean of House Francis, I would dress up in a, a like a blue, uh, basically it was a tablecloth, and I would put a fake wolf head on my head, and I would run around campus, and I was the ghost of Gubio, and I would try to like scare kids. Did it work? Uh, I don't know, but I had my uh, picture taken in the yearbook one year. Really? But, yeah, it was like 2012. This is a long time ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey, don't you? Every AJ also do, uh, does a strange thing for the yearbook every year. I, I haven't heard anything. Have you already taken your picture this year? No, I, I always forget on picture day. Okay. I come into school and I'm all bedraggled and unshaven, and they say it's picture day, <laughs> and, and then, then I, I'm, I really try to make it happen when we do retakes. Sometimes I don't get those, and then I have to do the grammar school retakes. <laughs> so, you know, it happens. Uh, anyway, this is Classical Stuff You Should Know, and we are a podcast that tries to bring the classical world to you in a way that's understandable and not completely... Yeah, understandable is a good that's way to good put way. it. Yeah, yeah, that's enough, I, I think. So Mild, Mildly entertaining also. Yeah, yep. that's what we mm-hmm. hope. That's what we shoot for anyway. And today, uh, Graham is at the helm. That's right. So today we are going to be learning about and talking about a book that we study in 10th grade, and it is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And um, it's a great book. It is the first, or it's always credited as like the first piece of science fiction ever. Oh, wow. So there are books that have to do with technology, and there are books that have to do with magic and fantasy beforehand. But Whatever the criteria for science fiction is, this book t- seems to be the first one that ticks off the boxes for it. I have no idea what those criteria are. I think it's, um, uh, yeah, some, some, I don't know, what's the criteria for science fiction? Anybody know? I'm sure someone will email us in and be like, well, actually, there's a... I'm trying to think, because sci-fi and fantasy normally get paired together, mm-hmm. but in Frankenstein, everything is explained. Well, except they don't really get into the physics or the, the what actually, how the but monster comes to life. But it's not presented as magic happens. Yes, it's he doesn't find some like, happens. yeah, some ancient artifact in right. a tomb that brings the dead back to life. It's just, we harnessed the power of energy and then created life. Anyway. And I think, I, I mean, I don't know what the criteria is for sci-fi. We should probably look that up. Yeah. But I think it's just that there has to be technology that doesn't mm-hmm. exist yet. Mm-hmm. And bringing the dead to life, I think, qualifies. Yeah. Um, so it was written by Mary Shelley. 
Um, Mary Shelley uh, was a romantic poet and author. She was married to Percy Shelley, who was also a romantic poet and author. They were a weird pairing. They were good friends with uh, Lord Byron, um, who, fun fact, when Byron... So Byron died uh, defending defending Greece from the Turks. He fought for Greek independence. One day he was just like, you know what? I'm going to go fight in the glorious war. And he went to help the Greeks fight for independence under the Turks and died in the battlefield. And the rumor is, or the legend has it, that all of the women of Europe went into mourning because George Byron that. was had some game. <laughs> George Byron had some pull with the ladies. Uh, he also wrote um, uh, Casanova, which uh, um, has the... Or no, Don Juan. Which one? I can't remember. He wrote one of the, like, the sexy poems that all the ladies loved. Um, anyway, so they were friends with Mary Shelley. And um, uh, they were uh, together one weekend at a, a cottage, uh, a cabin mountain, and there was a huge snowstorm, and they were bored, and so they decided that they were going to have a competition. And that competition was they were going to write a short story competition. And whoever, uh, a scary story, they were going to write a, a sort of a horror story competition, and the winner was going to receive, you know, just sort of... Um, bragging rights among everybody else. And so Percy Shelley and Lord Byron and Mary Shelley all wrote something. And what Mary Shelley wrote on that weekend that they were snowstormed in was Frankenstein. Um, apparently, Percy Shelley and Byron were sitting together uh, while they were snowed in and having a conversation about what actually is life. Um, do, uh, do things have souls or are, or are we just animated matter was the, uh, the question that Shelley and uh, Byron were debating. And it, this question really struck Mary Shelley and she fell asleep and had a nightmare that was talking about bringing, the, bringing a dead body back to life. And then so she wrote the story of Frankenstein. So um, also fun fact about Mary Shelley, when Percy Shelley died, Mary Shelley took his, uh, his heart out of, oh, someone's just moving stuff in the hallway. Um, she uh, took his, uh, had a, his calcified heart wrapped in Percy, his own poetry and kept it in her desk. Gross. Yeah, so they were that kind of couple. So, what? what the, <laughs> the like, I wear blood of, uh, a vial of blood around my neck, that kind of thing. Don't you remember that was uh, two famous people? It was, uh, that was Billy, Billy Bob, Bob Thornton, Thornton and, and Angelina, Angelina Jolie. Jolie. They wore each other's blood in a vial around Very them. unsanitary. That's disgusting. And their love did not last. No. No, it did <laughs> not. Oh, I don't like this. Okay. Anyway, but so Mary Shelley had uh, Percy Shelley's calcified heart wrapped in his own poetry in her desk uh, because she loved him and missed him so. Um, yeah, super gross. Anyway, so they, she wrote the story of Frankenstein, and uh, it's very famous, and we're just going to go through kind of the major plot points, as a, just in case you've never read it, or uh, hopefully it gets you interested in wanting to read it, and then we'll sort of talk about maybe its themes or why, it's, why we consider it uh, uh, sort of enshrined in classical education. Because it's a, it's a story that's often misunderstood. Oh, very misunderstood. Like, there are the characters that have jumped into the story. Igor... Does not exist. Does not exist. Igor is not, not a person. Guy. That I, is, I don't want to. That is anything. movie version. When, when, does yeah. he, when does he fight Dracula? Is that, yeah. So yeah. that's uh, second you know, half of the book. That's the second or? half of the book. Okay, um, that's my favorite part. Yeah. Where there's I Frankenstein, where he's been alive and he's fighting demons. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think with on a team with angels, except he's sort of an in between because he's an undead human. Oh thing. my goodness! That sounds basically so original. So when uh, when the Avengers, when Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe started getting big, Sony Pictures 
which is not a very successful movie studio. They brought you <laughs> such wonderful movies as Adam Sand that Adam Sandler movie where he fights a giant like Pac-Man. Is that Pixel? A Pixel, that's yeah. right. So that's like the Sony quality. Anyway, they wanted to have their own cinematic universe, so they had, I kid you not, uh, the monster cinematic universe. Um, the first movie being Tom Cruise's Mummy, which came out recently, if you don't, if you remember. Yeah. That was supposed so, to be the flagship I, I cinematic. remember, super, super, and that's super probably... Bad. It was very super bad, um, but that was supposed to be the first movie that kicks off this universe, and Frankenstein and Dracula, and they're all supposed to be in there. Yeah, but that, that thing's been shelved because that's a terrible idea. Sorry, Sony. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Shots fired. Wow. So, I don't know. It kind of sounds fun. I'd watch monster movies. But yeah, you didn't watch Mummy. were good. That's the whole point. It's, <laughs> That's true. I, w- I would, but I'd, I wouldn't make an effort to do so. Like, if I was sitting in front of a TV and Tom Cruise's Mummy came on, you would I might tuned. not leave. Yeah, okay. Fair. That's not really high praise for a movie. That's not, yeah. And I have really low standards. <laughs> there you like, go. Really just super low. So, off the bat, I would say that... Th- so, this book is very much falls into the category of romantic. Like Mary Shelley is romantic. And I may, you may have to go back and listen to the podcast on romanticism. But sort of to suffice to say um, that for the romantics, they're kind of at odds with a lot of classicists or neoclassicism as it was called sort of in Mary Shelley's day. Um, But they had a strong belief and they valued the individual human genius um, as opposed to institutions, I guess is maybe one way that you could you could uh, phrase that, um, and very much believed that uh, the Rousseauian idea that man is born free and everywhere is in chains, and that what we need to do with children and what we need to do with with uh, any sort of education is, you know, inspire and light the spark within as opposed to fill up the vessel. Like those are the sort of two competing views of education. The romantic view, we need to light the fire. Uh, And then the classical view, we need to fill the vessel. Um, Anyway, and this definitely um, sits on the light the fire view of it. So the story opens in the Arctic. You wouldn't necessarily think that this is where Frankenstein's going to open, but it opens with a sea voyage. Especially because if Frankenstein is sewn together body parts, would he be cold? He'd be itchy. I feel like he'd he'd freeze. (laughs) Yeah. Like if he's got no inner warmth going on. Yeah, but uh, he seems to be doing just fine. Uh, It's starting off on this uh, expedition by Captain Walton. He is a heroic, romantic young man who is wanting to be the first to discover the North Pole. And so he's pulled together this ragtime, ragtag team of mostly Russians. Now, I'm, um, you said ragtime, and ragtime. now I have a completely different yep. picture of what's going uh, on there. Hello, like my baby. Yeah. Hello, my honey. So it's a bunch of Russians playing ragtime music yep. and dancing their way to the on North Pole. On their way Pole. to the North Pole. I would watch um, that movie. That's a better version, I think. And yeah. so they're going to the North Pole, and um, he very mu- he's writing uh, sad letters home to his sister because he's sort of bored and has no friends and he might die. Uh, but he is, you know, filled with this sense of discovery, and he wants to be the first to reach the North Pole. He's kind of got this this belief in in mankind's ability to uncover the secrets of the world, and then the North Pole is the last uncharted place, and so he's going to go and and go there. Um, and then one day uh, they see this giant man uh, with a dog sled. Um, off in the distance, just booking it down the ice. And his Russians are like, you know, Zati's crazy or whatever. They're just... <laughs> you know, no, not the ragtime Russians. <laughs> the ragtime. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the Russians, uh, sailors think it's some sort of ghost or think it's some sort of demon and want to turn back, and he has no idea what it is. And the next day, they found another man, half-starved, almost frozen, all of his dogs are dead, 
and he's on this little ice floe, and they rescue him, and they sort of, uh, Captain Walton nurses him back to health, and it turns out that this man's name is Victor Frankenstein. And he says that he's hunting a demon. And the Russians were like, yes, we know. I told you. There's a demon out there. Sorry, um, Frankenstein, I believe. No, it's not. I'm sorry. I, I refuse Wait, to enter this debate. What? <laughs> not from the movie? I, okay, yes. Good. Um, so uh, anyway, so Frankenstein says, I'm hunting a demon and uh, we need to kill it. And uh, um, and Captain Walton's like, okay, but I also want to go to the North Pole. And Frankenstein looks at him and he says... I see in you what I once had in me, this desire for knowledge and this desire to understand the world. But let me tell you a story, young man, um, that will turn your blood to ice. And Walton's like, all right. And Victor Frankenstein, isn't he in kind of a bad way at this point? He's in a rough yeah. spot. He is like near death. And, uh, and you, and he's barely and, holding it together. And when he's by himself, like Captain Walton notices that when he's just sitting in the room, he'll just break into sobs and weeping. Like there's some bad stuff's gone out with Victor Frankenstein. Anyway. And we haven't noted yet that the Frankenstein is not the name of the monster. Frankenstein is not the name of the monster. Although, um, everybody, uh, thinks the monster's name is Frankenstein. And all my students turn in essays calling the monster Frankenstein. Really? Even and that's after, how you know they haven't read exactly. the book. Exactly. It's after reading the book that they still call They the still monster. do it. Really? Um, uh, and that makes the title of the movie I, Frankenstein so much funnier. Yes, exactly. So, because they clearly haven't read the book either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Victor Frankenstein starts off with this story, and then the story pretty much takes up the rest of the, the book. It, it is the story of the creation of the monster. So Victor Frankenstein, as a young man, um, had this sort of idyllic childhood. And um, he was the oldest of uh, a bunch of brothers, and he has this adopted sister named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth and Frankenstein are raised together, and they're roughly kind of the same age. And, um, and their father was this sort of nobleman who uh, wants to, you know, eschew city life, and he moves to the country, and he wants to raise his children in the bosom of nature. So off they go to nature, and... Um, it's very clear when you read it that this is, he's kind of like one of those, have you ever heard of unschooling? Sure. What's unschooling, Megby? Instead of all the structure of being in a school all day, you give kids free time. They get to explore and set their own curriculum. That's right. So he basically does this kind of, Victor Frankenstein and Elizabeth are raised in this kind of unschooling kind of life. Um, and so the children go off and they study what they want. And Victor Frankenstein is drawn to sciences, and so he goes off and he wants to study the natural world. And Elizabeth is drawn to poetry and music and languages and literature, and so she goes off and she and she studies this. Um, uh, and then there's this other guy, his name's Henry, and he's Victor Frankenstein's best friend, and Henry's dad is a merchant who doesn't know how to educate his own children, so he sends Henry to, to, uh, Frankenstein, to the Frankenstein family. And Henry Clerval... He just wants to, like, read adventure stories. That's all he wants to do. He just wants to read him. stories of, like, highwaymen and pirates and knights and all this kind of stuff. And, and he's just, he doesn't care about science. Um, he just wants to, you know, do these exciting, he wants to have a life of adventure. Because and his he's dad, awfully nice. And he's off. He's yes. a great dude. Yep. Because he's going to be a merchant one day, and he thinks that sounds uh, super schnoozers. <laughs> anyway. Um, so young Victor Frankenstein on his self-directed education stumbles across a book. And it is actually a real book uh, from the Middle Ages. It's by a author whose name is Albert Magnus, and it is a book of necromancy. Um, it actually exists. 
I've never read it. I have. Have you? Is it in the Mueller Library? Why? No. So I, I taught this book. We did it for the Great Books class. I think it was that. I, I looked it up. It sounds really cool. It is the lamest book. It is Why? not. Why? What's in it? Uh, if I, I mean, I'm thinking back a few years here, but if I remember, it was just random stories of like one time this guy fell asleep and then they gave him a tincture of blood and he awoke, but he was probably not dead in the first place. Wow. Like stories mm. like that where it's not... Chilling. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not some crazy book about how to actually raise the dead with all those crazy symbols in it. It's more just stories that this guy heard about mm-hmm. necromancy. And it's not... I, I If my memory serves me right, yeah. don't take that as gospel reader. You might go check it out. But if you're all excited about this book... It's not as cool as you think it's going to be. I it was sounds super pretty cool. pumped. It sounds super cool. It's not. Um, and Bummer. in the Middle Ages, they actually had books that m- monasteries would have because in the Middle Ages, they just, they flip and loved books. Sure. Um, but they also didn't want people to read it and they didn't want to burn it because you don't, you don't want to destroy books because maybe you need it one day, but they would just keep it locked up. And so there are these books, so there are these like these awesome special cabinets of these forbidden books that no one was allowed to read about like Satanism and, and necromancy, but it was, and also just like maybe pagan rituals for getting rid of warts and that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm not even sure the books were prescribing them or telling them how to do it. It was mm-hmm. just that they existed and not maybe, yeah. I don't know. Um, anyway, so Victor Frankenstein gets a hold of this and it's, and he loves it. And he's like, oh my goodness, this book is amazing. I want to learn the secrets of the universe. And if this book is talking about how to bring the dead back to life, I'm all in. Uh, as his childhood goes on, tragedy strikes and Victor Frankenstein's mother dies. She gets ill. Actually, Elizabeth gets ill first and the mother is nursing Elizabeth back to health and she gets the illness and dies. And Victor Frankenstein vows at that moment that he is going to do everything that he can to render the human frame incorruptible from anything but violent death, I believe is what he says. So he wants to find the secret to immortality, and he's pretty sure that uh, the study of the natural philosophy, as he calls it, of of the biological world uh, can lead him to that task. So he goes to his dad, and he's like, Dad, I've been reading Albert Magnus's book, and I want to learn more about science. And his dad... Specifically biology, which I hated Mm -hmm. in high school. Um, his dad looks at Albert Magnus and asks him why he is reading such sad trash and tells him that he shouldn't read uh, such silly books, but he should go and study more contemporary things. Uh, Frankenstein is kind of rebuffed at this, so he just reads it in secret. Um, and then as he gets older, um, he, he is uh, sort of a, a accomplished um, biologist and wins a scholarship to go to the local university in Ingolstadt, which is in Austria? Question mark? I think it's in Austria. Um, But one fun fact about Ingolstadt is the actual Illuminati started there. What? So there was a a secret society. And I think Mary Shelley's doing this on purpose. Um, Ingolstadt had this sort of like occultish, mysterious aura around it. And the secret society, the Illuminati, was started at Ingolstadt. This is Germany. Germany. All right. And so Frankenstein is going there, and it's going to be all of these top chemists and biologists, and this is going to be the place of, of this knowledge. And so he's on this mission. He wants to rid the world of all but violent death. Um, so he says goodbye to his friends and family, and then Victor Frankenstein lives in almost complete and total isolation for two years as he works on his project. Uh, he goes to school, and one of his professors laughs at him because he basically is that kid in the front of class, and he's like, 
So what do you think of Albert Magnus's book on necromancy? And his professor basically makes fun of him and says how you're reading such crappy material. It would be the equivalent of like if someone said, what do you think of this particular piece of philosophy? And then they quote something from like Reddit or something or or like 4chan or some like dark hole of the Internet. Um, His professor makes fun of him. um, But then there's this other professor that sees something in Frankenstein and takes him under his wing and teaches him real chemistry. And Frankenstein, um, 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 yeah, is is sort of tutored by this man. Um, Various things happen that where Mary Shelley kind of glosses over how Frankenstein stumbles upon this mystery. But he does stumble upon the mystery of how to bring inanimate things back to life. Um, he figures it out. He figures it out. And it has something to do with lightning, so the movies do get it correct. Does it have something to do with lightning? Yeah, he, I don't remember that from the book. He sits, he's sitting thinking about this, and he sees a tree get struck by lightning and explode, like the tree <laughs> explodes. And he's like, wow, such power. And he goes to the tree, and he sees that it's like humming with electricity. And he's like, this will do it. Um, and then... But I don't remember it being involved in the actual process, was it? I don't... Uh, yeah, not in the way that we popularly have it in our Where brains. he, like, cranks him up to the ceiling mm-hmm. and then calls it down with lightning yes. rods. It's alive! Yeah, that's yeah. not part no, of it. No, that's not part of the story He basically, yeah, I don't want to spoil anything. But, but anyway, so what he starts doing is at nighttime, he sneaks into, into cryptoriums and mausoleums and graveyards and digs up freshly dead bodies, chops them up, sews them together, and tries to bring them back to life. Um, he, I think there's a couple of scenes where he like actually gets an arm to like wibble, wibble around, wiggle, wibble, move it's around. Um, and he's like, I'm onto something. And then he, uh, in sort of this fit of madness, he has this, this, this period where he's going off and he is trying to find just the choicest, most beautiful body parts he can find. Um, and uh, he pieces together what he thinks is this dead Adonis. You know, he's got the best torso he can find, uh, beautiful teeth, uh, wonderful hair. He's found uh, the best of the best. And then um, uh, he's at that moment, and he actually brings this creature to life. Um, he says that, let's see if I can find the, uh, the speech where he even talks about uh, his reason and rationale for wanting to do this. Um, Yes. So this is what Frankenstein says when he is thinking of creating a new species. He says, No one can conceive the variety of feelings which bore me onwards, like a hurricane, in the first enthusiasm of success. So this is right before he's going to mate the monster. Life and death appear to me ideal bounds, which I should first break through and pour a torrent of light into our dark world. A new species would bless me as its creator and source. Many happy and excellent natures would owe their being to me. No father could claim the gratitude of his child so completely as I should deserve theirs. Pursuing these reflections, I thought that if I could bestow animation upon lifeless matter, I might, in the process of time, although I now found it impossible, renew life where death had apparently devoted the body to corruption. Has this guy never read the Bible? What do you mean? (laughs) That he would create all these things and for sure they would oh, love him. They would and just love their him. Yeah, yeah. allegiance to him and nothing could possibly go yeah, wrong. Nothing could yeah. possibly go wrong. Well, this is... Creations I mean, always love their creator. Well, this is why you don't unschool your children, right? It's because, <laughs> <laughs> it's because then they miss things like reading the Bible or, you know, having a... Uh, um, if they just sort of focus on biology, well, maybe they miss 
they miss some of these, uh, <laughs> you know, they don't have the bumpers on their mm-hmm. on their bowling game or whatever. All right. Mm-hmm. But he did figure out how to bring that stuff back he to did. life. He did, yes. Oh, he's a very successful scientist. Yeah. Uh, but that's about all he is. Mm. Um, so he brings the dead back to life, and when it opens his eyes, when the monster... Uh, the monster has no name. It's just called like monster or demon or creation. When it opens its eyes, um, it's like they've got these watery, pale yellow eyes, and it's got black teeth and greasy matted hair. And Frankenstein says, when it was laying on the table, I thought it looked beautiful because I had made it. Um, but now when I, when it was alive, it filled me with horror and fear. And Frankenstein pumps, promptly faints and passes out. This is a common theme in the book. Is Frankenstein passing out at, like, key moments of high drama. So the monster is alive. So the Um, monster, first experience is seeing its maker pass out. Yes. So, um, and Frankenstein's sort of in and out of consciousness, and the monster reaches out towards Frankenstein, his maker, and makes inaudible guttural noises. And Frankenstein screams and yells and runs into his bedroom, closes the door, and passes out on the bed. And then when he wakes up, the monster's gone. You know what Frankenstein says? Thank goodness. Whew, glad that's yeah. done. <laughs> no problems here. Yep. Problem solved. Problem yeah. solved. He has, um, he has kind of a habit of taking naps at the moment. He's got the Odysseus sleep problem where... And Virgil. I mean, and, and Dante as well. And Dante, where at the most critical moments when they're most in need of action, they have a nap. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and that's what he's doing. Yeah. So he passes out, and then um, the monster's gone, and he sort of is in this feverish state. He, he's quite sick and ill because of what he has done. It, it has taken its toll. He's been doing late nights. He's been pulling all-nighters, Thomas, to get right. his project Make done. His work, yeah. His independent study research project. And, um, and it's taken its toll. He's, he's sick. Well, one day, then Henry comes looking for him because uh, Frankenstein hasn't written home in like two years. And Henry and Elizabeth and his dad and his little brother William, they're all worried about him. And so um, Henry shows up and Frankenstein is in a state of illness. And Henry's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to nurse you back to health. And meanwhile, Frankenstein is like mumbling crazy things about demons while he's asleep. Um, Henry nurses him back to health and, uh, uh, and they, and then Frankenstein's like, well, you know what? Well, the, you know, the monster's probably gone and I should just probably live the rest of my life. Uh, not really worry about Forget it. this ever happened. Um, he's kind of proud that he has a secret to everlasting life, but he kind of realizes that it was this bigger deal than he thought. So the monster's gone. We don't need to worry about it. Phew. <laughs> All right. Um, so dad Frankenstein is concerned uh, about Victor Frankenstein and wants Victor Frankenstein to come home. Um, and I, I think at this point, like like two years pass at this point, where uh, where Frankenstein is sort of at school and uh, and uh, is finishing his studies, and Henry Clerval reports back, "Hey, Frankenstein's not dead. He's just was really sick." So a couple years pass, and then Frankenstein decides that he's going to go home. His dad wants to see him, and um, the sort of underlying subtext of everything that was going on was that Elizabeth, their sort of their ward, this girl that they took in and educated, um, is of marrying age and it would be uh, great if her and Frankenstein got married. So Elizabeth and Frankenstein... And not weird at all. Yeah, not weird at all. And the kids are like, wait, <laughs> what? And I even think in the book they refer to her as cousin. Mm. And so I'm like, does that make it better, kids? And they don't think it does make it better. I... They're, I think they're right. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, back then, marrying yeah. cousins was right. a thing. It was a thing. Cousins were an option. Still, um, still very weird. Anyway, so Frankenstein's going back to Mary Elizabeth, 
And on his way back, a letter arrives that his beloved son or brother William is missing. Actually, and has been found and has been murdered. And so with a heavy heart, Frankenstein and Henry return back to their house in Switzerland. And they hear the story. Um, that little baby William was found strangled in the woods. Um, and they know who the murderer was. And it was this, this uh, one of their servant girls named Justine. And Justine professes innocence. Um, and when Frankenstein looks at his dead brother's mangled body, he sees the handprint around William's neck is much, much too big to have been Justine's, but bears an eerie resemblance to that of the monsters. What? Size, that is. Um, so Frankenstein, in his heart of hearts, knows the monster has killed William, but refuses to say anything. Um, so then this whole story comes out that um, Justine and William um, were, Justine was basically like William's uh, guardian, and uh, at some point, um, William had this little necklace uh, around, uh, a little locket that had the mother's picture in it, the mother who had died many years ago. And Justine had been sort of rescued and brought into the, the Frankenstein family by the mother and sort of uh, really carried a torch for her. And had sort of made reference a couple of times that um, she really wished that she could have the locket herself. Um, but it was Williams, and so, you know, she wasn't going to take it. But, you know, she just really was fond of that locket because it was the only picture of Lady Frankenstein. Um, uh, William is killed. Justine is found in her little um, uh, guest house. And the locket is found under her pillow. Well... Uh, the police put it together, and Justine is arrested, and Elizabeth decides that she is going to, um, you know, uh, uh, be Justine's defense attorney in the court, but everything kind of goes haywire, and um, and Justine is convicted of the murder of William, um, professing her innocence to the end, but the, uh, but the lock, no one else was with William, and the locket is sort of their slam dunk uh, piece of evidence, and Justine is condemned to death. And at that point, Elizabeth says that she no longer believes that there is any light left in this world. And then the dad, uh, Daddy Frankenstein, goes into a supreme, uh, a supreme bout of depression. And it's kind of real sad. What was the dad's name? Tell me it's Frank. Frank Frankenstein? I don't know. Oh, um, it's, uh, shoot. It's like not, um, it's not like Orloff. What is it? It's like, uh, um, Alphonse? Alphonse. Yeah, Alphonse Frankenstein. Um, so then the dad, name. it is a whole, well, he's Swiss or he's German or Austrian or whatever. Poor guy. So the dad says, you know what, Frankenstein, the only way I'm going to be happy is to see you and Elizabeth happily married because my son got strangled. And so Frankenstein and Elizabeth decide to start on their wedding. Uh, Frankenstein is upset, uh, that his brother has died and he is for sure certain the monster did it. He's like, I don't I think there's no more auspicious beginning for a wedding than a murder. <laughs> than a murder. That's right. Sure. Um, Frankenstein knows the monster did it. And he didn't stand up and he didn't save Justine, even though he could vouch for another murderer. Someone, well, they would have thought he was nuts. They would have thought he right. was crazy, crazy. Yeah. Um, so Frankenstein decides, does what every romantic hero does when he has something to think about. He just goes in for a big, long walk in the mountains. Great. Um, so he goes for a long walk in the mountains and he sees this creature coming, striding towards him at a quick pace. And he sees that it is the monster. And immediately... Frankenstein readies himself, and the book says it, he readies himself for mortal combat. 
And in my mind, all I can hear is the Mortal Kombat music. Anyway, Mortal that's Kombat. the one. And none of our students know what that is anymore uh, because that is a cultural reference that has passed them by. We watched it last year for Bad Movie Club. Oh, so yeah. So they, doing, they oh, kind of doing know the Lord's work. Yeah, that we're made doing me. Small, Thank yeah, you. Our small part. I can't um, imagine that the giant, strong Adonis that can strangle people with one hand would have any difficulty with like the best thing this like wimpy <laughs> biology scientist that has spent his evenings sort of studying books and, and passing out at and the first sign of problems. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so Frankenstein sort of girds his loins for combat, and the monster talks to him yep. in very eloquent English, and says, um, and "He's well spoken. He's well spoken." He says, "I'm going to tell you how I came this way. And first of all, you're a jerk." <laughs> um, and then the monster tells his story. And so on the mountain, the monster tells his story. Um, but before I continue, uh, one thing I should want to point out is that this book of Frankenstein, it's kind of like Paradise Lost fan fiction. Um, Mary, Shelley loved, Mary Shelley and the Rantics loved Paradise Lost, but they specifically loved like the first four books of Paradise Lost when Satan's like kind of awesome. They, they're called Satanists. Yes. That's, that's misunderstand. Like, really? We understand mm-hmm. the word Satanist to mean someone who worships Satan. Right. In this case, that's kind of true, but only because they think Satan is the hero of Paradise Lost. They really Lost. like the character of Satan. They love his, the fact that he, um, all the powers that be tell him he has to do something and he says doesn't no. want to, says yeah. no to that. He's like a spirited rebel. Yes. And so, that's and tough. he says like, if that means that I'm going to live life in absolute misery, you can't take away my ability to say no. And for Milton, Milton thinks that that's pathetic. Right. Um, and Satan is on the... And Satan is on this downward trajectory, and by the end, he's not this kind of, like, awesome rebel. He's kind of this, like, silly snake. Like whining. This little sort of whiny creature. Um, but the romantics, who very much loved the power of the individual, loved Satan book one through four of Paradise Lost and kind of thought that Satan books nine through 12 was Milton just like being a good Christian, but really Milton loves the rebel Satan. Anyway, so they misread it. But so Mary Shelley decides that she is going to have her monster um, be the like the new Satan character. Mm. Um, This book's also called the modern Prometheus uh, I'm a little. Do you know Hannibal? Do you know the tale of Prometheus? I'm a little yeah, fuzzy on Prometheus. It. There was a. So Zeus created the humans, and he wanted to keep them in subservience. And Prometheus didn't think that was okay, so he went and stole fire from the gods in a fennel stalk, delivered that fire to the humans, and from that fire they made all of their iron craft and all of their so like the all first of their technology. Piece of technology yeah. It was the first. It was what drew them out of just being blank animals and Mm -hmm. then for that transgression he was tied to the stone and a bird ate his liver out every day and it would regrow because he was a titan so Mm -hmm. he would you know he's punished for the goodwill that he did i think frankenstein being the name of the scientist the modern prometheus so he brings something great to this new technology this this new new thing he raises something from animal to human and then he is punished for it yes um oh so there's no condemnation of Victor Frankenstein. Okay. He he's the modern Prometheus. Yes. So, but in the story AJ just told, I usually interpret that as Zeus is unfairly punishing Prometheus. Yeah. So what I'm asking is, is Victor Frankenstein not judged for what he's doing here for denying the beginning and end of life for pushing the bounds of knowledge into places it shouldn't go. Maybe it's, Shelley's sympathies really do lie with the monster. Um, 
Yeah, well, let's we'll bring that there. up at the end. Yeah. Let's talk about that at the end, because that's, that's sort of this interesting question, is does Mary, does Mary Shelley like technology and science, or does she say it's dangerous? Anyway, we'll get there. So the monster tells his story, and the monster basically says, well, you passed out and ran away, and I was real sad, and I was hungry and naked, so I put on a coat, and I went outside, and he said, basically, I had to learn things for myself. So um, I saw birds chirping, and they made me smile. And I was really hungry, and I tried to eat a stick, and it didn't work. And I eventually ate berries and was cold. And it's a sort of really sad, depressing story that he tells about being cold and wet and waking up with dew on him and shivering and eating berries but never being satisfied. And when he, he found fire? Yeah, he comes across this campfire, and he, comes, he sees that there's meat that has been cooked over the campfire, and he eats it, and he's like, this is amazing. So he's like, fire makes food better. So he puts berries on the fire, and that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and the campfire keeps him warm, so he's like, oh man, if I'm a little bit warm near the campfire, imagine how awesome it'll be to be in the campfire. And he goes in the campfire and burns himself and howls and runs around and curses the, you know, this fire that has hurt him. Um, sees a bunch of peasants, wants to try to communicate with them. They are f- freaked out at this like naked guy wearing a coat. Um, with burned hands with and burned berries hands all over and his face. And is like 10 feet tall. <laughs> and uh, like inaudibly rumbling towards them and they like throw sticks at him and and like children are crying and women are fainting and, and he's got like mismatched eyes and yeah. all kinds of crazy and so stuff. he gets driven out of all these little towns and he realizes that he's an ugly monster and that no one likes him and he's mad at frankenstein for making him hideous and then he goes and he sees his little cut with the with this family and we'll find out that their name is the delacy family and frankenstein or sorry oh i did it the monster hides in their woodshed and can observe the family through like a hole in the wall. And um, he becomes he comes to love this family and he does chores for them, like he'll chop wood, and then they'll wake up and they'll be like, All oh, our wood's chopped. This is great. Thanks, forest creature. Uh, they don't know who's been chopping their wood and they think it's some sort of like woodland elf. Oh. Really? Mm-hmm. And they're very pleased with this. And they're destitute, right? And they Aren't are they absolute in absolute poverty. They're basically scraping out subsistence. The father is blind and he plays beautiful music that makes the monster cry. And Felix, the oldest son, and Agatha, the daughter, um, uh, they're, they're, in, they're always in mourning sadness. And the monster doesn't know why. Um, and then this girl shows up and her name is Safi. And she is Turkish. She is from uh, um, the East. And when she shows up, Felix is happy again. And it turns out that Safi and Felix are lovers, and there's this whole backstory where Safi's father betrayed the DeLacy's, and, and now that the DeLacy's, a once noble family, are in poverty. And um, but Safi like rejects her father and comes to find Felix, and they're going to you know happily live together. Safi can't speak English, so Agatha, the sister, teaches Safi to speak English through reading. And so the monster learns English as Safi learns English. He's sitting there in the hut and he learns to uh, uh, speak. And then he finds three books in a garbage heap. He finds Plutarch's Lives. He finds some other history book I can't remember. And he finds Paradise Lost. And he loves those books and he reads them and that forms the basis of his education. So he learns about great men and terrible men and power and murder through you know, Plutarch's lives. And as he reads Paradise Lost, he realizes that he is both like Adam, created by a creator, but also like Satan, someone who has been rejected by his creator. Um, But Satan in Paradise Lost um, wanted to strive out on his own, but the monster, all the monsters ever wanted was to be accepted by his creator and his creator has abandoned him. 
And so he realizes, like, I want to go mess up Frankenstein's life. Right. <laughs> I want revenge. Uh, he's made me, and Adam was made, or no, Satan was made sufficient to stand, though free to fall. That's the line in Paradise Lost. And the monster said, I was not made sufficient to stand. Frankenstein did not give me everything I needed for happiness. And the main thing that the monster wants is friendship, love, community. He wants somebody to be with. He wants a girlfriend. Um, so he goes... Pretty bad. Pretty bad. He's feeling real low. Um, anyway, he hashes this plan. He's gonna. He's like, the DeLacy's will love me. And Mr. DeLacy's blind, so I'll talk to him first so he doesn't freak out. So he starts talking. So one day everyone's gone except the, Mr. DeLacy. And he starts talking to him. And Mr. DeLacy is like... Are you the the fine fellow that's been helping us with our wood? And the monster's like, "Yes, it is I. I am your your woodland creature friend." And the monster and the dad's like, "Oh, well, you're welcome to stay for dinner." And the monster's like, "This is all I've ever wanted." Mm. And then Felix shows up and he's like, "Bah, dad, what are you talking to?" And he hits him with a stick, not the dad, the monster, and throws a <laughs> rock at the rock dad. at him. And then the DeLacy family escape uh, uh, and run away. And the monster is so heartbroken he burns their house down and dances uh, and ring around the burning house. Because yeah, they doesn't he sort of feel really bad and then leave and then when he comes back tomorrow to try to make amends and meet them again they're they're all gone they're gone. and so yes in rage he burns down oh, their so house sad. and then he decides really that he is going to wreak his revenge on frankenstein if i the monster can have no companions on earth frankenstein will have no moment's peace um so he goes off and on the way there he stumbles upon this little presumptuous little boy and who's like oh you're ugly and the monster's like out of my way little kid i'm you know I'm going to find Frankenstein. And the little boy's like, that's my name. Uh, and then the monster realizes that this is one of the Frankensteins and strangles him and kills him. Realizes that he's killed this kid and then plants the little kid's locket in, ag- in um, what's her face, Justine's, Justine's uh, room so that she takes the blame. Um, and now the monster is here and he tells Frankenstein, he's like, listen, I killed William. I know, but that that's for like, abandoning me when I was created. So we're right now, like, we're even. It's messed up. <laughs> what I want you to do, Victor Frankenstein, is make me a lady monster. And if you do not make me a lady monster, I will murder everybody you love. And if you make me a lady monster, you'll never hear from I me. Will, you'll never hear from me again, and I will go off, and her and I will just live happily forever after in the woods. Everything will be real chill. Everything will be real chill. And he's like, take your time, think about it. Um, and... Um, and Victor Frankenstein's like, all right, crap, what do I do? Um, at this point, the monster is sort of on that precipice, right, between good and evil. Because right. he has done an evil thing, but he wants, he desires to be good. He wants to be good. He yeah. And he thinks that being good is going to come from um, having a, a, wife. a, a wife, having a, 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 a co-relation. Yeah. So Frankenstein has this big moral question he needs to answer. Do I make a lady monster or not? And in my English class, we spend an entire class period debating that. And we go, we we drop all. We basically do like a game theory. We're like, what's the worst thing that can happen? What's the best thing that can happen? Uh, what's the most likely scenario? What's the least likely scenario? And we just play this whole thing. It's really fun. Is there a side that normally wins? Yeah, don't make the lady monster. I don't want uh, the students usually say, wait a second, but if Frankenstein does it in such a way that they can reproduce, then. Like then you have like a whole race of monsters, and that's bad. Yeah, and that's not one thing Frankenstein thinks too. Yeah, he, he says does. I don't want to. And then some student always says, well, why don't you just make the lady monster, like, infertile? And then another student usually quotes Jurassic Park. Nature finds a way. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Anyway, so we have that big debate. 
Um, Frankenstein decides that he, before he gets married, him and her, Henry are going to go on a two-year-long bachelor road trip. A Woo! Long time. Wow. So they go on a road trip to England. They're going to go on a walking tour of the hill country of England. Sounds like a great idea. Sounds like an awesome idea. Something that... Sounds like a really great idea. That sounds like a wonderful, wonderful idea. idea. We'll we'll mention that at the end. Okay. Um, And uh, so him and Henry go off. And then partway through, Henry's like, I really want to go to Ireland. And Frankenstein's like, you know what? I just want to chill in Scotland for a bit. And so Henry leaves. And Frankenstein decides he's going to make the lady monster. And he gets all the parts. And he puts them all together. And it's at the local Napa Auto Parts store. Yep. um, Yeah. The... uh, Check your fluids and uh, gets the lady monster all ready to roll. And he's about to like pull the switch or whatever. And it's a dark and stormy night. It's very atmospheric. And he looks. And he's on this island by he's himself, on, Yeah, right? he's on an island he's, in Scotland. and Everyone's kind of suspicious of him because he goes out to this island all the time. And graves and are being dug up. And, and, yeah, it's all really weird. And we, it's either him or like the weird Fergus guy that lives in. Anyway, whatever. Um, so he's digging up Scotland. Oh, okay. Um, he's digging up these bodies and he's putting together and then he's going to do it and he looks out the window and it's dark and stormy and the lightning strikes and he sees the smiling face of the monster going like, yes, do it. A babe. (laughs) Make me a girl. Um, And then Frankenstein kind of loses his mind, decides not to do it and hacks up his creature right in front of the monster. Hack, 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 hack. And, um, which is kind of messed up, which is kind of messed up and then passes out. Yep. Naturally. Um, Doesn't he just go take a nap or does he actually pass out? I can't remember. He passes out or takes a nap. I mean... One way or the other, he goes to sleep. He goes to sleep. At, bad, I wouldn't say time. this is... Yeah. And then he wakes up the next day and he's like, I'm going to go find Henry. And he gets on a little boat and he goes to Ireland. Doesn't he kind of think like, that's solved. Yeah, he's like, I'm glad we're done with that. <laughs> um, this guy. That'll show him. Yeah. Um, and then I think at that moment, the monster... I think it's this point that the monster says some like thing like, I'll see you on your wedding night or something like that. Like... Um, and Henry, or uh, Frankenstein says, well, that sounds ominous. <laughs> um, he goes to Ireland and is promptly arrested for the murder of a, of this, of a traveler. And, and Frankenstein's like, what? I didn't murder anybody. He goes to prison. Turns out Henry Clerval's been drowned. Um, and Frankenstein happened to show up and uh, at the same time that this happened. So obviously the locals suspect him <laughs> and put him in jail. And in jail, he gets really sick and nearly dies. And his father uh, travels all the way from Switzerland to Ireland to bail Frankenstein out of jail. And they have this trial, and it's basically like a hung jury. They don't, and they have no proof that he did it. So Henry gets buried, and Frankenstein's real sad. And then they go back to Switzerland, and the dad's like, "All right, I think it's time to marry Elizabeth." Um, <laughs> We've had a good time. We had, we had some good times. Everyone's feeling really at the top of their yeah. spirits. And so Frankenstein and Elizabeth decide they're going to get married. After a period of mourning, they decide they're going to get married, and it's very happy. And then uh, on their, they go on this honeymoon on this wedding night, and they hear, like, broken glass, or they hear a noise. And Frankenstein does the classic horror move miscalculation. You wait here. Okay. I'm going to go check it out. Yeah. And he goes and he gets his gun and he like goes outside the little cottage where they're honeymooning. He's like, nope, there's nothing here. And then he hears a blood curdling scream and he goes back into his room and the monster is on top of Elizabeth strangling her and she is dead. And the monster gives him this like hideous smiling look. 
and like jumps out the window and Frankenstein literally in the books like so that's what he meant I'll be with you on like your he had wedding no idea night until then. I know yes, I think yeah. up until then wasn't he thinking that the monster was going to kill him going to kill him and so yeah. that's why he's like stay wife I'm going to go somewhere else so he doesn't get you too yeah. and, and I, kills, I can't believe yeah. such a brilliant scientist yes. wouldn't have thought of the possibility that he meant the wife. This is why you don't unschool your children. With the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the real point of this book. Anyway, so, uh, and then the monster has now, and then so Frankenstein's real upset and then sends news back to his dad that Elizabeth's been murdered on the wedding night and the dad has a heart attack and dies. Uh, so now Frankenstein, all of his families have died, except he's got another brother named Ernest that's mentioned in the beginning of the book, but doesn't get any play for the rest of the story. And I think maybe Mary Shelley forgot about him. <laughs> um, anyway, so Frankenstein's lost everybody he loves. And so he decides that he is going to kill the monster. Uh, maybe Ernest was just really annoying. That's true. I mean, with that name. Um, just super eager. Yeah. <laughs> he, what are you guys doing? Can I help? He no. He's, go he's super earnest. I'm brushing my teeth, man. That's weird. <laughs> Want to play Super Mario? Just leave me alone. You guys want to play Wiffle Ball? (laughs) Gosh darn it, Ernest. So eager. Um, Anyway, so then there's this, essentially this version of like an 80s action movie montage where Frankenstein like gets together a bunch of weapons and like sort of works out a little bit and, and gets, and basically chases the monster through the Slavic nations up through Russia and the monster kind of is egging him on and when Victor Frankenstein is, is, um... Like, weak with hunger, the monster leaves him food, and he's like, come on, Frankenstein, let's do this thing. Um, And he's basically wanting Frankenstein and him to have this big epic showdown. And now Frankenstein's chasing him. And the monster's fine in the yard. Like, cold doesn't really bother him. At this point, the monster has sort of realized how to take care of himself, and he can run all day. He's, uh, like, weather doesn't hurt him. And they go off into the Arctic, and they both get dog sleds, and they're chasing each other on the ice. And then all of Victor Frankenstein's dogs die, and he passes out, and he just says, I'm going to give myself up to the elements. And then he's found by... The ragtime crew. By the, by the Russians. <laughs> and Henry Walton uh, rescues him, and Victor Frankenstein basically says, like, don't pursue knowledge um, to the point of madness like I did. Learn from my mistakes. And then Frankenstein dies. And Walton's like, holy crap. That was a pretty crazy story. And he turns and he looks, and at the window, the monster is there bawling his eyes out and the monster basically goes up to the body of frankenstein and you know and says that this was my maker he was my uh, he made me and all i've ever wanted was him to like love me and acknowledge my existence and now that he's dead i've got nothing to live for i'm just trying to see if i can find the actual thing that the monster says um um let's see where it is oh yes this is what the monster says after the death of Frankenstein. Once my fancy was soothed with, soothed with dreams of virtue, of fame, and of enjoyment. Once I falsely hoped to meet with beings who, pardoning my outward form, would love me for the excellent qualities which I was capable of bringing forth. I was nourished with high thoughts of honor and devotion. But now vice has degraded me beneath the meanest animal. No crime, no mischief, no malignity, no misery can be found comparable to mine. When I call over the frightful catalog of my deeds, I cannot believe that I am he whose thoughts were once filled with sublime and transcendent visions of beauty and the majesty of goodness. But it is even so. The fallen angel becomes a malignant devil. Yet even that enemy of God and man has friends and associates in his desolation. I am quite alone. Um, And the monster says that the reason I became evil 
is because I had these desires that my creator would not fulfill. Um, that I had longings that if they were just nearly, if, if those longings were but met, I would be happy and satisfied. But since my creator did not meet those desires, um, it drove me to sin and depravity and, um, and I've become who I am now, this fallen creature. And this is like a pretty, this is Mary Shelley kind of tipping her hand as to what she thinks human, what it, what it, how she attributes sort of human sin and, 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 uh, and misery is the very romantic conclusion, which is it is unfulfilled desire. Unfu- like human beings, if they do not have their desires met, will become wicked and evil. And if they can have their basic desires met, they will be like happy and peaceful. Um, something I can, I completely reject that as like a, sure. as, a, as a philosophy. I think that's, I don't think that's very, that's right. Um, but that's her story. And so then the monster uh, uh, jumps off the boat and sort of runs off into the Arctic. And he says he's going to go burn himself in a funeral pyre. We don't really know if he does. And Walton's like, well, I guess I'm going home. And he turns the boat around and goes and sails back to England. Because there were warnings from Victor Frankenstein, like, do not seek ambition. Yeah, he's like, it's not worth it. He's like, it's not worth dying to find the North Pole because you should just go home and be with your sister. Yeah, farewell, Walton. Seek happiness and tranquility and avoid ambition, even if it be only the apparently innocent one of distinguishing yourself in science and discoveries. Yet why do I say this? I have myself myself been blasted in these hopes, yet another may succeed. He says, like, don't go after ambition. I'm, I screwed it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we kind of have these two competing morals at the end. Victor Frankenstein takes on this, don't seek after ambition and glory because it'll just eat you up. Oh, pardon the sound on my phone. Uh, don't seek after ambition and glory because it'll just eat you up in the end. And then also the monster saying, if... Um, I but had my um, most basic human desires met, I would have been good and sought after virtue and honor. But because I didn't, um, I was driven to revenge and madness. And like, he kind of lets himself off the hook. Um, anyway, so that's that's the story. Uh, it is nothing like sort of the old 1930s movies or nothing like the sort of monster movies um, that we have now where you have the sort of lumbering creature that right. seeks the destruction of mankind. It's somebody that just wants to be loved. <laughs> um, but tries to be loved by burning down people's houses. That's right. How do you guys try to be loved? <laughs> <laughs> Not like that? Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, what I focus with the students mainly is... Um, in their view, is it, so is this book like an, a book of anti-technology? Like, is there, are there technological places that we as human beings just should not go? And we've talked about this on this podcast just a couple of episodes ago with the abolition of man. I and mean, we sort of talked a lot about uh, our conclusions of how far we think science and technology should go. Once you start messing around with the human frame, you open up the potential for, for problems. But, um, but there's lots of good stuff um, to uh, uh, that, that this book sort of comes out. I think the big one being the monster thinks that if he, if he just has s- some basic human pleasures, he will be good. Which he won't. Why not, maybe? Well, when you were talking about the monster's one demand being to have a wife, all I was thinking was give him the wife and then 
they'll have their first conflict and he'll want another one. Yeah. I mean, or, or not, he'll hate himself and her and it'll be fury that has no hope. It'll be so that he'll have gotten the thing he wanted, realize it's not as good as he wants and then be angrier than when he started out. Um, I had one student one year make a very good point, which was how bummer of it, how much of a bummer is it that this other autonomous creature is created simply and solely as like an anti-murder device for somebody else. Like her very existence is just to appease um, the desires of another creature. And yeah, that doesn't seem noble. Yeah. That doesn't seem right. Mm-mm. Yeah. Um, and I was like, that is a great point. Like, well, like, Frankenstein's the, I mean, the, the creation of the monster was originally just to satisfy sort of a human lark. Like, yeah. He wasn't thinking of the well-being of the creature. Obviously, he took a nap when he should have been teaching it about fire totally. right? mm-hmm. and clothing and, you know, nursing it into human society. Yes, he's and a then, very bad god. Yeah, he could have, he, he, this could have been done a completely different way. Mm-hmm. He could have taught him, kept him secret, helped him along. And then by the time he finally unveils it, he can say, look, I've made this thing. He is not much to look at, but give him a chance. He's a hard worker. He can, you know, run a thousand miles. He can be a great asset to society and he's very kind and introduce him that way. I think it'd be a much, that, that monster could have lived a very happy life if Victor wouldn't have been such a doofus. Yeah. Um, so, and then the monster, yeah. So he, um, um, but is Mary Shelley saying that Frankenstein is, or is Mary Shelley saying that God is like Frankenstein? I think so. I think Mary Shelley is saying that, so there's this part part in Paradise Lost where um, Satan critiques God and says, if you didn't make me so gosh darn ambitious, I wouldn't have wanted to be God and I wouldn't have fallen. This is on you, bro. This is on you, God, for making me so ambitious. Um, and, um, and it's, I think it's pretty clear from the rest of the story that, that this is wrong. Like that, that, um, that it's not God's fault that everything was laid out in front of Satan as to why this was a bad idea. He even Um, had one dude that said it was a bad idea when he laid out his plan. Yeah. He laid out this plan and this one guy, one rebel angel is like, nope, I'm count me out. And then all the angels make fun of him. Um, and then eventually him and Satan fight and it's pretty awesome. And he, and we, smo- he smokes him good. Yeah. Oh gosh, I love it. We Abdiel. definitely talked about it in the, in the Paradise Lost podcast. Yeah. So it's obvious that like Satan knows. So, so after the fact, Satan retells himself the story differently saying that it's God's fault. Um, but in the middle of it, like Satan knows what he's doing. But I think definitely Mary Shelley is saying that if there is human misery on earth, it's, it's because, because of the bad, it's because we've had a faulty creator. It's God's fault. Um, the fact that Frankenstein screws up and disappears when Frank, when the monster needs him most, I think is Mary Shelley's um, a critique of God that there are humans suffering because of X, Y, and Z, and where is God coming to educate us on what we should be doing? Why isn't he here doing ex- exactly what AJ just said? Like pulling us aside and giving us clothes and teaching us how to do things and then unveiling us slowly and saying, hey, universe, humanity is not much to look at, but like give him a chance. Like I think Mary Shelley, that is her critique of God is that he is an absentee father mm. like Frankenstein was to the monster. And the monster, it's is, you can go on one side or the other whether you think the monster is right in his critique of Frankenstein or not. It's right that Frankenstein wasn't 
for him in his life, but that doesn't justify him murdering everybody. Right. Um, but, um, but yeah, I definitely think Mary Shelley is saying that the problems of a creation ultimately are the creator's fault. I think I accept it in the story because Frankenstein is such a bad creator. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I would reject the analogy to God. But Frankenstein did mess up. Mm-hmm. I'm okay saying that. I guess I'm just agreeing with what you said of that doesn't justify the monster's actions. I also know that there's this weird duality with the monster where he kind of, at times it seems like an analogy for Satan and at other times it seems like an analogy for Adam. Yeah. Right. It's like Adam to creator and then Satan to creator yeah. and back and forth, mm-hmm. which is weird. And back to that comment about Satan saying, it must have been your fault, God, you made me so ambitious. Mm-hmm. At other times, Satan argues that he's not sure that God created him in the first place. He's like, mm. who knows where they came from? I could have come from something else, like a vegetable. I could have popped out of the ground. Yeah. And so he even contradicts himself. Satan, is he's sort of all over the place in Paradise Lost. Yeah, in those sections where Satan's talking about, who knows where I came from? He's definitely using that as like a seed of doubt planted in the minds of rebel angels. He's like... Um, yeah, he, he's saying, like, uh, um, no one was, because Satan was the first thing created. He's like, no one was around when I was created, so I can basically say that I was created however I want to say, and no one can corroborate it except God, and we don't believe him anyway, because he's, like, the man. Um, but, um... Please don't. Uh, could you please do a translation? Could you, a modernized version of Paradise Lost? I would like that very much. Like, where Satan's, like, just, a, like, a like a hipster anarchist yeah yeah <laughs> that'd be fun um but anyway so that's the story of frankenstein um uh it is we do it before romanticism in 10th grade we do it right after paradise lost there's so many paradise lost parallels the students like it um but i think most yeah uh, um at the end of it uh, i think that the value for reading it is that shelley says the only reason humans sin is because they have unfulfilled desires and at the point in the year, there are some students that buy that and some students that reject that. And that tees us up for when we get to Brave New World, which answers the question, all right, if human sin is because of unfulfilled desires, let's create a society where all of our base desires are fulfilled. What is that going to look like? And then it's this like Florida. horrific, this horrific nightmare. <laughs> right? Florida. Isn't that Florida? Yeah. It's Florida. Yes. <laughs> Um, it's, then it's this horrific nightmare of sort of, uh, industrial proportions and the students are promptly terrified. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. so Frank's time. All right. Thanks gentlemen. We are going Ooh, to, we were going to talk about, yeah. yeah, we are going to eschew or eschew the commonplace book and the, what we got wrong. Cause we're running out of time here, but I did want to say a note on our walking tour next <laughs> summer. So next summer after the junior Europe trip that Magby is leading, he is going to hang out in Europe and we are all going to meet up and trek across the UK just walking on this big trail. How, how, how many days? So it's a hundred miles. It's the, uh, it's in, um, it's, uh, you start in Chipping Camden. It's the Cotswolds. We're going to start, we're going to go Chipping Camden to Bath and it's about a hundred miles and we're going to stop and sleep in pubs and drink pints of beer and eat pub food. And during the day, we're going to walk and see old ancient Roman ruins and churches. And um, we're probably going to find the church where uh, I think King Charles II hid during the Civil War. And um, uh, it's very beautiful. And uh, we're going to ring in Magby's 30th year on planet Earth, his 30th, 31st time around the sun, or the beginning of his 31st time around the sun. 
um, and do the classical stuff you should know, Chipping Camden, Cotswolds walking tour. It's it's going to be nerdy and glorious and beautiful and probably rainy. And our plan is to record you know, impromptu conversations as we have them. And don't worry, it won't be as though you'll have those to listen to rather than our usual podcast. What we'll probably do is have some in the bin before we go. And then I will post those conversations that will probably be of relatively low audio quality in maybe batches of five. So you can listen to them if you want. You don't have to. They won't replace our other normal podcast stuff. So it's just going to be three dudes walking through or walking through Europe. That's right. So So. that's going to be up this summer. And if you happen to live in the UK or even in the Cotswolds area and want to feed us... (laughs) Yeah. Email us at classical stuff at veritasacademy.net. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we're going to call it there. Bye. Bye.